If you've got a Bible, I want to invite you to find Luke chapter 22. We're only looking at three verses this morning. And that would be verses 63 through 65. If you are just joining us um, in person or online, we have been studying the life and the teaching of Jesus Christ um, through the Gospel of Luke. We are at the point now that we're very near his death. Um, We're at the point in the account where it's Thursday night. And his death, of course, is coming the next day on Friday. He, uh, he's been betrayed. He's been arrested. His disciples, for the most part, have abandoned him uh, to go off and hide. And the events that we're looking at today take place on Thursday night. Okay, so Jesus is in the custody of the Jewish authorities. And these three verses just tell us what happened that night. Before he appeared before the council, before he went on trial, when he had that, that night, that Thursday night, after the supper with his disciples, what happened when he was in custody? What did they do to him? What did he experience? What happens when Jesus is in the custody of man? And our purpose in reading this together is to understand what happened to him on that night. And, to, and then to reflect on whether this same dynamic is also present in our lives. More on that in just a moment. Let's read it first, and then we'll get into considering what happened to him and to see if there's any chance that the same thing that was happening to him that night at the hands of man is something that we're also participating in, Okay. If you're able to stand this morning for the reading of the word, I want to invite you to do that. Um, This is Luke 22, verses 63 to 65, the the end of the, the earthly life of Jesus Christ. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, Prophesy! Who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. I want to read that one more time since it's, it's so brief, just to really solidify this in our minds. Now, the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him blaspheming him. Lord, this is, a, this is an amazing account that these things could happen to Jesus. But don't let us be so detached from it that we just look with incredulity on this scene and just with amazement at how brazen they could be in their mockery without applying it to our own lives. And um, I, just, I just pray this could be a really meaningful, good day for many of us to make a turn and begin something new. And this is all for Jesus' sake, and we pray in his holy name. Amen. 
I invite you to go ahead and have a seat. As you, um, as you can tell in the account that we just read, we have the spectacle of God. God being mocked by man. Jesus is God, God the second person. He is fully God. He is God incarnate, God in the flesh. And he is being mocked. Think about this. He who gave sight to people who are blind is himself blindfolded. He who healed people of their wounds and bodily ailments, this this compassionate, powerful man who brought healing to others is himself struck and wounded in his body. And he who granted dignity, think about the dignity that Jesus bestowed on the poor and the outcasts of society. Think about the dignity that he bestowed on them by being with them and eating with him. And now think about the way that he's being treated in this scene and the, the, in, the indignity with which he himself is being treated. Jesus, the son of God, the gracious healer and teacher is mocked and beaten. Now, um, granted, this is being done in ignorance. They don't know that they're beating and mocking very God. They don't know it. It's being done in ignorance, but it's being done just the same. These three verses that we're looking at today show us the spectacle of God mocked by man. And here's the question that I want to put before you today as an individual. Are you... in some way, mocking God. I want to ask you if if you are mocking God. It's possible for someone who is not a believer in Jesus Christ to be mocking God. It's also possible for someone who is a believer in Jesus Christ to be mocking God. So whether you... um, are a believer or not, there's something here for you to consider, something serious. So we're going to take a few moments to think about how we might be mocking God and what the consequences of that are and how to deal with that situation. The question before us all is, are we mocking God? And the verses that we just read are going to be our guide as we think through this for ourselves, okay? So here we go. Let's think through it. Looking at the mocking of God in this passage, we see, first of all, that it's a mocking that includes both actions and words. Their, their mocking of him includes both actions and words. We see that they were beating him and they were blindfolding him, right? Those are actions. We see that they were asking him to prophesy who was hitting him. That's a, a form of mockery. And Blaspheming him. Those are words, all right? Very simple observation. They're mocking included both actions and words. If we, if we looked at the other accounts of this same scene, so if we looked at Matthew's account and if we looked at Mark's account, and you'll remember some of these things, like Matthew and Mark tell us that they went so far in their mockery that they actually th- thought of the idea, well, if he's a king, let's like make a crown, 
Oh, well, let's not make it like a real crown. Let's make it out of thorns and let's put that on his head. Also, let's just take this reed that we have lying around. Let's put it in his hand. Like, uh, that can be like his scepter. And here's a, here's a robe. Let's drape it over him so he has the, the regal clothing on his person. Not only that, they went further than that. We read in these other accounts and they actually um, bowed down to him in fake worship. They were mocking his identity as a king. He had ridden into the city just a few days prior, received a king's welcome, hailed as king, praised as king. Jesus, of course, is a king. He's the king of kings, but they're mocking that identity. This is what it means to mock Jesus, to take his identity as king and on the one hand give a nod to it, but only to just completely deface that identity with one's actions and words. That's what they were doing. Giving a nod to his identity as king. Yeah, he's a king, but then completely defacing that notion with with all of their actions and words. Now, this is not a foreign concept, is it? I'm going to speak specifically to believers for a moment. Okay, so if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've trusted him for the forgiveness of your sins, I want to put the question to you, is Jesus a fake king in your life? How many of us, in a sense, claim that Jesus is king and we use um, words for him like Lord? But our actions and our words speak the opposite. They reveal that actually um, Jesus is more of a fake king in my life. It's something that I give a nod to. But I've kind of redefined what king means and what Lord means. King and and Lord is just a a concept or an idea that I have to go along with because that's what the Bible says Jesus is. But in actuality, in my life, I'm the one who's calling the shots. I'm like really my own king. Might come on a a Sunday morning and kind of like bow down spiritually This is a really hard thing to consider, but I just I want to ask you if that dynamic is present in your life and, and just invite you to ask the Holy Spirit to search you and ask the question, where in my life am I mocking God? By saying he's my king, but... He has no control over that area of my life. Like that, I'm talking about those times when you, you know what the, what the obedience required of you is. You, you know God's clear command and Jesus, follow me. Like you know what to do. You know the right thing to do, but you deliberately say, no, I'm doing this instead. Where in your life is that happening? Or 
one of the things that I hope happens today for myself and for you, if you're a believer, is that we can just stop mocking God. Now, if you're not a believer in Jesus, and especially if you're not a believer in the God of the Bible, if you really want nothing to do with the God of the Bible, um, but you've come today maybe by the invitation of someone, and I'm really glad you're here, but you're just here being kind or fulfilling an obligation. If you're in that category, I'd like to suggest to you that you might be involved in mocking God in a kind of opposite way. We believers are prone to mock God by claiming his lordship while at the same time trampling all over it with our actions. If you're not a believer, let me suggest that you are prone to mock God by championing his wonderful attributes and priorities while trampling all over his person, completely rejecting his actual person. I want to suggest to you that you're prone to mock God by championing his wonderful attributes and priorities while trampling all over his person. I'll explain what I, what I mean by that. Let's say you have no interest in the God of the Bible or the idea that Jesus Christ is his son. No interest in that. I would bet that even so, you have a huge, huge interest and care deeply about areas of social and political life that involve justice and compassion, human rights, and the dignity of all people. I bet that you really care about the promotion of human flourishing and serving the poor and freeing the oppressed and the trafficked and pursuing world peace. Even if you want nothing to do with the God of the Bible, I bet you have a huge interest in all of those things. All of those priorities and ideals that I just listed come straight from the character and the will of the God of the Bible. They are all his idea. They are all his ideal for the world. Every single one of them is both commanded and held up as the ideal over and over and over in the Bible. Those ideals and those priorities, those others-centered priorities, do not arise from a rational, materialistic worldview. That's the view where people are just bags of chemicals and matter that arose out of the primordial ooze. Those priorities and those impulses do not arise from a godless world. It could be that you are mocking the God of the Bible by acting as a, a champion for all of his wonderful attributes and priorities and holding those things up as like, this is the best. I love this. This is what it should all be about. This is excellent and this is praiseworthy, while at the same time utterly rejecting and showing contempt for the person in whom they are rooted. The person who gave us these priorities and good impulses. You have rightly discerned that those are the things to work for. You're right about that. You have rightly discerned that. Those are the things to pursue. 
But you have discerned that because you bear his image. That's why those impulses are there. It's because you bear his image. He made you. And he made you in his image. Mercy and compassion and justice and peace are rooted in the nature of the God of the Bible. Where do you anchor them if you don't anchor them there? And if you will not honor him as God, then you would be better off just abandoning the pursuit of his attributes and his priorities. And stop pretending like they're of any eternal significance. Because at least then you wouldn't be mocking him by taking all of his gifts and just shutting the door in his face. Just like the Christian would be better off not claiming him as Lord while consistently just pursuing things contrary to his lordship. So we're all just asking ourselves, how are we mocking God? Whether we're a believer, whether we're not a believer, we see that there is enough opportunity for us all to be involved in the mocking of God. That's the first thing. Second thing we see about this mocking here as we just study this little, small little three-verse passage is that it's a mocking that is allowed to continue. It just keeps on going. We read that the men who were um, holding Jesus um, kept asking him to prophesy, right? It didn't just happen once. Keeps on going. Jesus isn't stopping it. We read that they said many other things against him. They said not just one thing against him, but it just kept on going. Jesus is enduring this. That's what we're noticing. There's no retaliation. It's a mocking that's allowed to continue. He could have stopped it. Of course he could have stopped it. Jesus has demonstrated um, already power over Satan in the demonic realm, power over nature. He's demonstrated the highest power. Of course, he could have stopped it, but it just keeps on going. The offenders are allowed to be repeat offenders. Okay, so that's what's happening in the text. Now we're asking the question, is this happening in our lives too, right? Whether you're a believer or non-believer, is God allowing your mockery of him to continue with no apparent intrusion into your life to stop it? Have you been mocking God for a long time? God not stopping, stepping in and giving consequences. The guards who are doing the mocking here are still under the illusion that they're the ones in the position of power as they mock God. That could be happening in your life too. That could be your feeling today. If you're a believer and you're Mocking God by pursuing your own sin over and over and over. You may be under the illusion that everything is within your control. Everything must be fine. I I can repent whenever I want to repent. I've got the grace card in my back pocket. Apparently no dire consequences are coming. Nothing really bad is happening because this continues in my life and God isn't intervening to shut it down. If you're not a believer... And you don't see God intervening to put an end 
to the words that you're saying about him or the, the thoughts that you're nourishing about God in your heart? There's this silence from God. And how are you viewing that silence? The fact that God doesn't intervene. We can view that silence in one of two ways. You might view the silence of God in the face of mockery. You might say, well, see, he isn't there. It just proves that God's not there. No intervention. Life goes on. Or... God, for some reason, is refraining, holding back, not punishing the mocker. That's the case here in Luke 22. Jesus allows it to continue. Why would God allow himself to be mocked? Would any of us allow that kind of thing to continue if we were God? Let me suggest to you that the silence of God in the face of mocking doesn't mean that God is not there. It means that a patient and gracious God is there. That's the case in Luke 22. God is being mocked, but there's no end to it because he's a patient and merciful God. And this is exactly who God reveals himself to be. Exodus 34, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger. We're observing a mocking that's just allowed to continue because God is patient and full of mercy. And that may be happening in your life. And our only purpose in this second point here is to drive home the reality that God's silence doesn't mean that he's not there. According to the scriptures, the silence of God in the face of mockery means that God is patient and gracious. That's what it means in Luke 22. Last thing, last thing we notice is that um, it's a mocking that continues all the way to death. All right? So first of all, this is a mocking that includes actions and words. Second, it's a mocking that's allowed to continue. And third, it's a mocking that continues all the way to death. So he's being mocked here. And then if we jump into chapter 23, very next chapter at 2311, Jesus before Herod, and Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Still going on next day. Further on in the account, chapter 2336, Jesus on the cross, the soldiers also mocked him. We read at that same location that they put a, a sign over Jesus as he was dying on the cross that said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. So you see that the, the mockery continued all the way, all the way to his death. And the question that I want to put before you we see this mockery that continued all the way through the end of Jesus' life. Is your mockery of God going to continue all the way through the end of your life? If you're a Christian, is that what you really want? Do you, do you really want to be saved by grace and mock God 
all the way to your grave. Is that the legacy? Is is that what you want to give back to God? I don't know. I think it's pretty big shame that the word repentance not as welcome in the American church as it used to be. You know, you you use the word repent or repentance and it automatically slides you into a category of like, ah, this is like 50, 60, 70 years ago. I think repentance is the most beautiful word in the Bible. Repentance is a life-giving word. Repentance is the very first step toward life. Flourishing. New start. Repentance is a return to God. You know why it's the most beautiful word in the Bible? It's because it represents the most beautiful picture that we have in the Bible. The return of the prodigal son. When he gets up and he goes home. Goes back to the father. Repentance is a gift from God, and repentance is a return to God. It's a return to his good provision. Where you leave the pig slop and you go to the feasting table of the Father. If you're a Christian and you've been mocking God in whatever way you've been mocking him, the simple invitation to you is to repent and believe in the gospel. To turn back to God and believe in the gospel. You remember that the gospel tells us that we don't have to clean ourselves up before we return to God. Because God does not accept us based on our goodness or our purity. He accepts us based on the goodness and purity of his son Jesus. So that all that's required is a return and a a gaze of the eyes upon Jesus Christ. Knowing that we're accepted when we return because of Jesus' goodness, not ours. It is a a brand new year, 2024. We all have areas of our life that we um, would love to turn back over to God. What's that area for you? It's January. What a good time to say, this is going to be a new start for me. If you're not a Christian, um, I can't thank you enough for your presence and graciousness to just listen, to just be part of this gathering. I want to let you know that God also calls you to repent and believe in the gospel. It might be difficult for you to understand the concept of repentance and what does that even look like. Well, it means you turn from sin, but it means you turn from enjoying sin to now battling your sin doesn't mean that you'll never sin again. I think that can hang us up. We think, all right, I got to turn from my sin. Does that mean I'm never going to do that again? Like, how possible is that? It's a change of position. Instead of enjoying and drinking in more, now you're battling it. Now you're picking up a sword and saying, I'm going to, to war against you. You're not my friend anymore. You're my enemy. And we understand that Christian life is a life of constant spiritual warfare until we reach the end. 
where now we're battling sin. That's why we need each other, because we can't do it alone. I can't do it alone. The gospel calls you to turn from your sin to begin to battle it and trust in the gospel. The gospel gives us bad news before it gives us good news. The bad news is that because of our mockery of God, there's this wrath of God that rests upon us. God's wrath is on us because of our sin against him. Is that a hard concept for you? If that's a hard concept for you, that the wrath of God could be on you because of your sin, just understand that hell is real because justice is real. You want to live in a just world where sin is punished. You understand that every time there's a criminal trial, that you want justice to be served. You want evil to be punished. We live in a just world. It includes us. Sin will be punished. Your sin will be punished. God hates sin. God hates evil. Therefore, your sin will be punished. The question is, will it be punished in you, in your body, or will it be punished in Jesus' body? The gospel tells us that Christ willingly took our place to receive the wrath owed to us because of our sin. He took it for you. So that what is required of you is just to change your orientation towards sin. Say that I have been wrong in how I've thought about God. I thought that God was hard and difficult and all wrath and not someone that I wanted to do anything with. And now I see that he provided his son Jesus to bear his wrath in my place. And I receive that gift. That's what it means to repent and believe in the gospel. It's not only that you're forgiven of your sin, it's that you're, you're at the same time credited with Jesus' perfect life. Therefore, when you stand before God after you die, you don't stand ashamed at all, bearing the guilt and shame of all your sin. You're credited with Jesus' perfect life as if it were your own. That's the great exchange. He gets your sin. He gives you his holiness. That is how to be right with God if you have mocked him. If you have been mocking God, repent and believe in the gospel. See, the the answer is the same. Whether we're a believer in Christ or whether we have not been yet. Will you mock God to the end of your life or will there be a turning point? Have you been blindfolding the sight giver? The Bible tells us that God dies for the God hater. There's only one thing in the Bible more astounding than the mocking of God. And that thing is the inconceivable, beautiful redemption of man. Because God is love. Father, thank you that you bore this kind of abuse in our place in the person of your son, Jesus. We know, Father, from what you've entrusted to us in your word that your desire is that all will come to you in repentance and faith. And um, 
I just want to speak for a moment to, to those of you who are listening and have not entrusted your life to God, but the Holy Spirit today has shown you that your standing with God is not a safe one, that you have been um, mocking him. And if that is you, there is a, just a very simple road back to God where we, say, we simply say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. You are the only Savior. Have mercy on me, Jesus. I need you, and I receive you. And the new birth happens quietly as a a tiny seed and grows into a beautiful tree of fruitfulness by the power of the Holy Spirit.